All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. We all know that political candidates and their campaign people are creating digital profiles on us. But now there's a way to request that voter profile, thanks to this guy. And so you can see from those three tabs, who you are, where you're registered, the history of your district, and then your partisanship, and the issues that you care about, and your likelihood to vote, they're pretty much figuring out how you're going to vote. This is Professor David Carroll. You're going to hear shortly about how he figured out he could get this personal data and what he hopes we can all do with it. I'm Manoush Samarodi, your guide to this accelerating world. And note to self, legal loopholes can come in real handy, especially if you want to get to the bottom of whether technology really did change American minds and votes. All this month, we've been studying digital spy tactics, how they've been upgraded from the Cold War to your laptop. And one tactic that we unpacked, that was last week, was psychometrics. Does anyone remember what that is? That's right. It's personalizing online ads so that they play on people's emotions. Like, so let's say you wanted to advertise a burglar alarm and you decided to target people who are kind of neurotic and who have been victims of a crime. You could micro-target those people based on their digital profiles with an online ad that spoke directly to those fears. One data analytics company that's been very vocal about its alleged ability to use psychometrics is Cambridge Analytica. We told you about Cambridge Analytica in an episode back in March. The company claims to have thousands of data points on around 230 million American adults. So most of us. We were able to form a model to predict the personality of every single adult in the United States of America. So how does this impact marketing and communications in elections? This is Cambridge Analytica's CEO, Alexander Nix, a few weeks before the election in 2016. Why did the Brexit campaign and then Ted Cruz and then Donald Trump hire them? It's all about their ability to persuade, Nix says. That is an understanding of your personality, because it's personality that drives behavior, and behavior that obviously influences how you vote. These tactics originated in a lab at Cambridge University with a group that included Dr. Michal Kaczynski. His colleagues went off to help form Cambridge Analytica. Michal stayed in academia. I'm an assistant professor of organizational behavior at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University. 
Michal acknowledges that targeting people based on their data and personality and how they will emotionally react to something can be used for good and bad. The difference between manipulation and positive influence, it's just a blurry one. Look, if I told you, hey, let's use some of the psychological targeting to help people quit smoking and have a healthier diet, everyone would agree, oh yeah, let's do some of it. This is a great idea and we totally fully support it. And now I'll tell you, hey, let's discourage people from voting. Everyone would agree, hey, this is just a stupid, awful idea that is just completely non-democratic, right? But between those two extreme examples, there's a whole spectrum of ways in which you can try to influence people. And now, which one of them is all right? It's a very difficult question. Yeah, it's really difficult to know what's ethical, especially because Michal just released research that shows that ads that were made to appeal to people's extroversion resulted in up to 40% more clicks and up to 50% more purchases than ads that weren't targeted using psychometrics. His findings suggest that it is possible to influence the behavior of vast groups of people by speaking to their psychological needs. By the way, if you want to hear more about Michal Kaczynski's background, we'll put our original episode down the feed this week, too. He's a pretty interesting guy. Anyway, right after Donald Trump was elected president, half the country, you'll remember, was pretty upset. And lots of journalists were struggling to understand how they had totally missed that Donald Trump would win. Some of them got obsessed with the idea that Cambridge Analytica had kind of brainwashed half of the U.S. electorate. Here's politics reporter Nick Confessori of The New York Times. People loved the idea, I think, deep down that there was some dark art or special sauce that enabled this guy who they didn't respect or like or think was any good to somehow beat the candidate Hillary Clinton, who they thought was fantastic and qualified and ready for the presidency. That if there was some high-tech company pulling the strings and manipulating people on Facebook and using quote-unquote dark posts and manipulating fake news, uh, that somehow that would explain why Donald Trump won. But here's the thing. Cambridge Analytica might have done a lot of things for the Trump campaign. Polling, research, and yes, digital ad buying. But psychometrics? They didn't use them that much. The devil's in the details here. Back in March, I got the head of product at Cambridge Analytica, Matt Ochkowski, on the phone. I wanted him to explain how his digital tactics were better or different from any other political campaign. I would say that what we did is probably similar to the standard playbook of what people would run on campaigns. The difference is just in the scale and the volume we did. But psychometrics was not part of that program, correct? Not at a deep level, no. Mm, Those devilish details? Well, they may be more devilish than we knew. Because a lot has happened with Cambridge Analytica since our original episode. And psychometrics are just part of the intrigue. It turns out that in the summer of 2016, Cambridge Analytica's CEO was in touch with Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. Nix wanted to ask about distributing all those hacked Hillary Clinton emails, 33,000 of them, that had fallen into Assange's possession. And no one quite knew how. 
Just recently, our friends at the Daily Beast discovered that Cambridge Analytica is part of the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. The Senate Intelligence Committee has also asked the company for a trove of documents and data. Cambridge Analytica says it is cooperating with U.S. lawmakers. But when I asked for a follow-up interview at a recent advertising event here in New York, they said no. They suggested that we talk by phone the next day, but I got in touch with them, and then they didn't respond. Meanwhile, the Wall Street Journal says that as of now, Cambridge Analytica has no political clients on its books here in the U.S. That's according to FEC records. And actually, some of their previous clients have complained about the services that they provided. They're also facing, and this is where things relate to you and me, what could be a watershed lawsuit in the U.K. that's been filed by one lonely American. I'm not really special in the sense that every single American is eligible to sue this company. Why would you even consider suing Cambridge Analytica, especially if they didn't even use psychometrics? That's what's coming up right after the break. We're back. It's note to self. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Okay, so in the first half of the show, we talked about the roots of Cambridge Analytica's psychometric targeting. Okay, but what else? Well, you may recall that the company is partly funded by Donald Trump's biggest donor, Robert Mercer. And during the campaign, it was largely run by the man who became President Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon. Cambridge Analytica, as the name suggests, was spun off from a larger British company, a company called SCL Group. And this is important. SCL Group consults for governments and military all over the world. Its website says, For over 25 years, we have conducted behavioral change programs in over 60 countries. Uh, Recently, SCL's clients have included presidential candidates in Kenya and Mexico. And reportedly, the government of the United Arab Emirates paid SCL Group to run a negative social media campaign about neighboring country Qatar. In other words, SCL has clients who may not have the same democratic agenda as the U.S. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, because there's been some questions over whether SCL is separate from Cambridge Analytica or if they're really just the same company under different names. Because if it's true that Cambridge Analytica has all this data about us Americans, then that could mean that SCL does too and that maybe SCL would share that data with some of the government's or military operations that it works for. But how could we possibly find out? Well, that's where a professor and father of two in Brooklyn comes in. Right. Who are you? I'm David Carroll. I'm an associate professor at Parsons School of Design here in New York. David teaches design and technology. He also does a lot of research into online advertising, fraud, and privacy. So Cambridge Analytica was on his radar well before the presidential election. But earlier this year, a Swiss data protection law expert got in touch with him. 
he was looking for an American citizen to request Cambridge Analytica hand over his or her personal information. His hypothesis was if I requested the data and it was ignored, denied, rejected, that would probably indicate that the company was an American company and the our voter data stayed in the United States because there's no law in the United States that forces a company to disclose this information if you ask for it. But if they did disclose the information, then that would indicate that the data was processed in a country where it's required to do so. About a month after filing his request with the company, David got a letter back from Cambridge Analytica on SCL letterhead. It included a PDF with lots of personal information about him. Not thousands of data points, but intriguingly, it did include a specific list, 10 political issues like gun rights, national security, that it had ranked according to how they had calculated David likely felt about these issues, what was most important to him. And the point is that because the company, as we just learned, is indeed based in the UK, where people have rights to their own data, Cambridge Analytica had to hand it over. And that shows us that our U.S. voter data was processed internationally. It was processed in London. So this was a startling discovery. They claimed to have data on every single U.S. voter. And so the question is, what is going to be the impact of having companies that are international collect this data And what are they going to be able to do with it? And will citizens have rights with regard to this? That was the other big question. And it seems like, strangely enough, we have rights in another country. (laughs) But not in our own. (laughs) Wait, because in the UK, you can make this request. But here in the United States, you cannot. That's right. If your data is processed in a country that has data protection laws, then you get those rights because your data was processed there. And so that's why Americans have rights in the United Kingdom, because our data was processed there. And they have this law that allows you to request it. And there's a regulator that regulates the company. So it's alien to us because we don't have the equivalent here. David showed me the file that he got back on himself from Cambridge Analytica. We have a picture of that list on our website. And it has three tabs. One tab is your voter registration information. The second tab is the history of your district and all the elections from the time since you registered. And that's attached to your voter registration. And then the third tab is what's called the model. And it's how you've been ideologically modeled. And that has a list of 10 issues ranked in order of importance. And then it has your registered partisanship. And then it has your sort of computed partisanship. And then it has your propensity to participate. And so you can see from those three tabs who you are, where you're registered, the history of your district, and then your partisanship and the issues that you care about and your likelihood to vote – they're pretty much figuring out how you're going to vote. And the question is only, what is their confidence percentage on it? Like, are they 90% confident you're going to vote Democrat or Republican? They don't say that. They say, in our our case, it says very unlikely Republican, which is funny too, because it shows how the data itself is structured and biased to its client. 
It's not saying you are a Democrat or Republican. It says that, in my case, it says I am a very unlikely Republican. Just throwing this out there, we know that Cambridge Analytica was hired by the Trump campaign, but is the information that you got, while very interesting, is it anything different than all the other sort of political campaign operations going on in this country? The Obama campaign did it. Hillary Clinton's people did it. They can target people. We know this. What's different here? Yeah, it is probably a typical voter analytic profile. So that's not the issue. What's Concerning to me is that this is an international company that has military contractor connections. So the big difference between the previous industries, which were domestic and civilian, is this is internationalized and militarized. Is your concern, though, that this data, this data on American voters specifically could be used by foreign countries I'm just going to throw this out here, maybe Russia? In the letter that we get when we ask for our data, it does have a section on who the recipients of the data could be, but it does not list them by name. And so we are seeking a legal challenge to get them to disclose where did they get our data, what did they do with it, and who did they share it with. There's nothing stopping international firms from collecting our data, very personal and sensitive and political, using it for any purpose they want and potentially selling it to anyone they want. However, there was also, I mean, I just, this story just unravels and unravels. When will it end? But right now, the Wall Street Journal had an investigative report that came out that said, actually, Cambridge Analytica has no political clients signed up in the U.S. right now. And that actually, there were some people who were their clients who were like, we didn't get our money's worth. You said you were going to target people within an inch of their lives, and you didn't. I mean, are they just full of hot air? Yeah, there's a lot of controversy around whether they can achieve what they claim to. And the company has given different responses at different times. So it depends how you ask the question. So for example, if you ask them, did you use psychometrics for the Trump campaign? They might say no. But then if you say, did you use models derived from the Cruz and the Carson campaigns, then they would say yes. So that is a concern for us in the terms of the data disclosure, because then I would expect to receive my psychometric score in my data, but it didn't appear. So that's another question that we have for them. If you had a like message to give to the people listening, why does this matter? Isn't it just, it feels like, oh my God, there's the Mueller investigation, there's the Senate Foreign Intelligence, and then there's the House, and then like, oh, and then Assange, and wait, there's this guy, Nick's like, huh? Yeah, it's really confusing. Um, You know, our privacy is our identity. Our personal data is who we are. And so maintaining and recapturing control of your own data is about preserving your own autonomy and even personal sovereignty, especially when it comes to issues of politics, meaning your data could be used against you in ways that you don't understand and might not even be able to know. 
The other thing that worries David and all the lawyers working for him for free is that data researchers have shown that it is possible for companies to take all the anonymous data floating around out there and de-anonymize it simply by applying algorithms that use our names, addresses, age, and gender, the stuff in our voter files, to figure out who specific people are. And so in that way, the privacy policies that we all ignore at the bottom of every page and when we install every app are a broken promise. Because basically in the fine print, they're saying, we'll take the name that your parents gave you off your data, and then we'll sell it on the open market. But then what happens when it gets reattached to your name that your parents gave you? And it gets done by a foreign military contractor. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, Does it go back to how the system was originally set up in that there's no oversight over the tech companies, but even further back to these big data collection companies like Equifax, who we know got hacked big time a couple months ago and has like maybe one third of Americans' data was stolen. We don't really know because they haven't told us. Does it go back to the way the whole system is structured in some ways? Yes. We were convinced that it wouldn't matter and we shouldn't worry about it. I think the Europeans have a more advanced philosophy about this issue because they don't even tend to use the term privacy. They tend to use the term data protection. And I think it's a wiser phrase to use because privacy is a pretty meaningless term. And especially when the term itself is defined by the companies. Whereas data protection is a more logical idea. Your data is either protected or it isn't. And you either have rights related to that protection or you don't. And so it puts the citizen and the consumer and the user in a place of even having rights. And that forms the basis of having a relationship with a company. And I think it shows the necessity for the United States to consider how enlightened this way of thinking really is. You know, I'm not really special in the sense that every single American is eligible to sue this company. I'm just doing it to see if it works. And if we succeed, at the minimum, we will create an opportunity for Americans to opt out. Professor David Carroll, thank you so much for explaining this and for using yourself as a proxy for all of us to sort of understand where our information is. Yeah, it's an interesting experiment, and I'm hoping that it will get to the truth. David Carroll has raised 25,000 pounds online to cover any legal costs he may incur in the U.K., Earlier this summer, he also delivered his own dossier on Cambridge Analytica to the Senate Intelligence Committee per their request. He has not heard from Robert Mueller's team yet. And so, yeah, David Carroll may be the guy who helps us know if Cambridge Analytica really has 5,000 data points on most Americans and whether that data is being sold to other governments. He may even help American lawmakers figure out how Russians knew which specific 
and persuadable Americans to target with their information warfare campaigns on social media. But I also think the bigger point is to show that we need data protection, data privacy, whatever you want to call it. We need it in this country, too. I'd at least like the option to opt out. And there's another opportunity here. We could legally press Facebook to tell specific users whether or not they were targeted by fake ads bought by the Russian government. And actually, a petition with around 100,000 signatures has been given to Facebook asking for that information directly. Legally, Facebook doesn't have to tell us anything here in the U.S., but Facebook keeps a lot of our data in Ireland, and we do have data privacy rights there. So... We've been talking about information warfare and how it relates to our real lives for the last three weeks. And there are still a lot of unknowns. To be clear, we have been talking about Russia, but it's not like the U.S. government is an angel when it comes to shady political tactics. We know that. And we do know something else. All that meddling and targeted advertising, misinformation, deep, dark political ads, they only worked because... Sadly, white supremacy and misogyny are real in this country. For some Americans, those ads and posts fanned a spark. They set fire to some beliefs and ideas, ideologies that many of us had thought had long ago been snuffed out. It's a good thing we're here together, (laughs) right? Because that's what we do here. We figure out how to maintain our humanity in this accelerating world, We keep watch over how technology affects our own personal behavior, our communities, and our society at large. If you want to learn more about how digital privacy works and how you can get some of it back, check out our week-long boot camp that we did earlier this year. It's called The Privacy Paradox. Maybe you did it already. Maybe you want a refresher. We'll link to it in the newsletter and online. Also, you can put in your own request to Cambridge Analytica for your data. We will link to that, too. I'm still waiting for my file to come back, and I will definitely share it with you when I get it. You can also always send us a note or comment or question on Facebook, (laughs) Twitter. Also, notetoselfradio.org is a good place to go. And also, please subscribe to the podcast and rate us or write a review. That way, the murky algorithms of whatever platform you're listening on will get us in front of more people. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you for listening. Okay, go through it. Pat, Jen, Megan, Joe, Manu. That was weird. Okay, thank you.